And Emily told me, she was like, let's just, you know, go into it and just see how many people show up. And if they show up, great. If not, we'll just keep working and getting things set up, you know, and put together. Well, I posted it on Facebook and that was the night before. So the next day we were here at like nine o'clock, nine thirty, and there was people lining up down the block. Welcome to Appalachian Startup, stories of new ideas that eventually became thriving businesses in areas that most would consider a bad investment. I'm J.D. Belcher, and I started this podcast because I took the same path as a lot of these folks. I'm a former coal miner, and now I make films through my own production company called JJN Multimedia. I wanted to hear others speak of their journey to not only give new beginners hope, but to help me grow as a fellow entrepreneur. We're kicking off the second week of Mercer Grassroots March with a captivating story of how one man's beehive turned into a community's one-stop shop for all things beekeeping. Yes, we're talking about Blue Ridge Bee Company. It's a special addition to the Mercer Street Grassroots District. Will and Emily Lambert turned an almost condemned building into a proud beekeeping, ice creaming, and t-shirt selling establishment. Don't forget coffee mugs even when a devastating fall occurred during the renovation process. Hear about their dream that came to life recently during this hour. Enjoy. Okay, so we started in uh, 2016. Um, I started keeping bees that year, and we needed some way to treat for the Varroa mite. Uh, And... I noticed that all the treatments were really expensive. You know, you had, a, it was usually about $35, $40 a hive. Um, and I had heard about this thing called auxilic acid that they were using in Europe uh, and had been for several years before um, it was even considered in the U.S. And uh, I just started researching it. You know, people had built these really basic models of, uh, auxilic acid vaporizers or what they're called and so i decided to build my own because i could do it instead of 35 or 40 dollars i could do it for pennies you know like 15 cents right uh per hive i didn't have very many hives at the time but um i just thought it was interesting how all these big commercial guys were using it and and, and they really liked it so uh I come up with a design, drew it out on a piece of paper. Of course, I was staying home with my little girl at that time, and uh, I had plenty of plenty of time to think. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, and I went to the vocational school, <clears throat> and they helped me uh, take the aluminum, the raw aluminum, and turn it into a vaporizer. So um, I built myself one, tested it. It worked really, really well. Um, and then for whatever reason, I was like, man, maybe people want to buy these. I put it on eBay. Within a couple of days, we'd sold like 15 or 20. Like, uh-oh. And then I put it on Amazon. Right. And uh, I was like, holy cow, how am I going to be able to, you know, make these things? I didn't have a way to make them yet, uh, you know, because I don't have a machine shop. I don't have any way of milling aluminum or, you know, threading and tapping holes and drilling them out right. straight, you know, so so it looks professional. Um so I talked to one of my buddies, Derek White, I went to school with, and his dad owns a Mountaineer machine in, in Pipe Stem or Lorona there. And uh, he just started doing them for me. And before we know it, I mean, we were making like hundreds a month, you know. 
Um, and we were making really good money on them at the time. So all the money that we made from those, we just put back. We had no clue that we were ever going to do this at the time. But, you know, we just, she's really good at saving money. And yeah, one year into it, um, I started talking to her about opening a store. <laughs> and my mom had just opened the pottery shop, paint your own pottery, two doors down from the building that we bought. <clears throat> Lori was in there one day and she was talking to me about buildings for sale you know the pottery shop the riffraff were really the only things on the street at the time and uh the dude that owned our building he put a for sale sign up outside of it i'm really good at just like calling people out of the blue and asking them I, you know i'm not scared to ask them if they want to sell something or if they'll help me out and do something for me so i call the guy ask him if he wanted to sell it you know um and i knew the building was rough I didn't know it was quite that rough, I don't think. But uh, so anyways, we worked out a deal and he told me a price. I went back to her. We went and looked at the building and I think that was the turning point when we walked inside and saw just how high the ceilings were and how it was just, you know, old timey building from the early 1900s and uh, how awesome it can be, you know, because I mean, her and I both have vision. And are able to see, you know, buildings, especially what they could be. Right. Um, and so we just took it and ran, you know, took the money that we made from uh, the vaporizer sales online and, and just put it into the building, you know, so. So the vaporizer, what was that? You <clears throat> said a name there that was the problem it was solving. Yeah, the Veromite. So, Veromite. So what is that? Yeah, in the <laughs> early 90s, uh, we got a pest called the varroa mite. Um, it attaches to the bee kind of like a tick on a human and it, it sucks on the fat bodies of the honeybee and it transmits viruses and diseases to the honeybee. And so once they get those viruses and diseases, they can't build up enough. They can't make enough winter bees for winter. And when they don't have enough, they basically, they'll freeze to death, you know, um, the bees in the wintertime have to keep a certain temperature. Uh, so what happens is the queen will get in the center. All the other bees will get around her. And the colder it gets, the tighter the, the ball will get, you know, around her to keep her warm. Um, and if there's not enough bees, you know, they can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, that's the issue that it caused. Um, and, you know, colony collapse disorder is basically amounts to uh, the varroa problem and a couple more, couple more issues too: pesticides and then uh, lack of uh, habitat. So those three things combined are what's really decimated the honeybee population, mm -hmm. um, as far as scientists can tell, you know, and and beekeepers. So gotcha. So what did you, how did you two get together? Like he was like, hey, I, I want to get this building and kind of you know level up um what were your thoughts in the beginning like well it was he was playing with these beehives now it went to grew into this thing <laughs> um well it didn't surprise me because that's kind of his personality we um before we started blue ridge bee company we also have an, another business that we run that he had been running at the time where we would get very dilapidated houses and other types of structures and we would renovate them and then up to up to the point of Blue Ridge Bee Company, we would 
just rent them out to um, people after we had fixed them up. And so he had been doing that for, you know, a few years. He probably started doing that, I guess, in about 2013. So between watching our daughter during the day and then doing, you know, renovations and construction work in the evenings, he had done that for a while. Um, And beekeeping was something that he had been doing on the side for about that same period of time. And and he did really enjoy it. And um, I enjoyed it too. I I can't keep the bees because I'm allergic to bees, but whenever he would get done with the the bees and um, they would produce honey, he would bring that to me and I could extract it. So it was something that, you know, he enjoyed. I enjoyed it. Um, He enjoyed doing the construction and the renovation of buildings. I would help him do that too. So it wasn't a surprise to me when, you know, he took those two, um, those two, what really started out as hobbies and kind of merged them together. Uh, And so when he came to me with the idea of, hey, you know, let's buy this building. That definitely wasn't a surprise because he had just finished up another project. So it was kind of time to start on another one. <laughs> right. Or he was kind of nearing the end of one and, and it wasn't surprising that he wanted to start another one. Sure. And when that that type of building was very different, this building with the storefront was something that we had never done before. Uh, but as soon as we got it, you know, we started thinking, you know, what could we put into in the storefront and would it be something we would want to run? Is it something that we would just want to rent out to someone else and let them run a business in it? Um, but every time that we go on a vacation or we go out of town, we always find ourselves going to stores that are locally owned and um, have kind of local type goods and have have a feel like our store has. And that was a lot of the inspiration. It was taking a hobby that we really enjoy, but then also kind of combining it with the the feel of a local store that we like to go to when we're on vacation. And so that sort of all came together and led to the Blue Ridge Bee Company. Um, as we were thinking about it too, we we were just trying to think about the market that we're in. And if we just started a store in Princeton, West Virginia, that was, was solely... Um, going to be beekeeping supplies. And that was it. We felt like we were going to miss a lot of um, business potential. And so that's why we decided we have to have more than just beekeeping supplies in there. We have to have more than stuff that um, predominantly men, certainly there are are women beekeepers, but a predominantly male hobby Mm -hmm. is going to draw a customer base too. And so that's why we decided to bring in some of the other products that we have in the store as well. So we could, you know, have something for men, women, and children as well. So you both used to, f- or do you still flip properties? Is that the term? Is that still mm-hmm. the term? Yeah, that's that's a term. We and Flipping kind of refers a little bit more to uh, renovating them and, and then just selling them outright. So we do renovate them, but then we rent them instead of just selling them. Gotcha. And so that that's a great question. Do we still do that? Well, for right now, <laughs> we said we probably should focus on this new venture because if we want it to be successful, we may not want to, you know, put our eggs in too many different baskets, but it will, I'm sure it will definitely continue to happen in the future. Did that experience of, you know, already having renovation experience, did it come in <clears throat> handy with this property? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I had just, right before we bought the building, I had just bought uh, a uh, seven-unit apartment building, and we were able to do it in like a year and uh, right at two years. Um, and so that gave gave me a lot of confidence, you know, going into this uh, as far as what I needed to do. And, you know, because, I mean, it was just me for a pretty good while. Then I had some other people that would help me lift, you know, lift stuff and move things around but uh 
So you use the the uh, profits from the vaporizer. You built that up over time, and you use that yeah. to purchase the property. This here, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you can say that that along with the rental property income, uh, right. for sure. Yeah, awesome. So, um, so you all didn't really have an issue when it comes like a lot of businesses when they start they have problems with capital. So yeah. thankfully, you all had already built up enough from yeah. your other business. Gotcha. So, you know, day one, you walk in after you purchased it and you start planning out what you need to work on. How did you pick up, you know, what kind of shape was the, was the building in? It was a dump, man. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was bad. It was, it was bad. condemned by the city. Um, the dude had went in there and he cut a bunch of stuff out he wasn't supposed to. Uh, the city put a stop work order on him because uh, he basically tore out everything that was underneath the stairs. The city went to walk up the stairs and they were about to fall down and they were like, no more. You got to get out. You can't do any more work. I didn't know about it at the time, you know, but he had already went back in and fixed, shorted up, you know, and then, uh, but it was just full of garbage and just full of, you know, old magazines and just, it was nasty, right. nasty, nasty. So you had to take the first couple of days and just clear the stuff oh, out. Oh, first several months. Months? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So we're talking dumpsters full of just stuff. Yeah, probably like 100, 150 trips to the dump, you know, of just stuff I would take. And then, I mean, upstairs, you know, it still had all the all the old materials in it. We had to gut everything, you know. Mm -hmm. He had cut a bunch of supports that were holding the roof up. And, uh, you know, you just have to go in and, and gut everything to make sure that no damage was done. The roof was sagging two foot foot and a half in the center we had to jack it all up and i mean we rebuilt the whole inside so with a condemned property do they give you a list like here's why it's condemned here's what you have to fix first no or? i don't think it was like officially on the condemned list they just basically put a stop work order on it gotcha and told him he couldn't work on it anymore and then he wasn't allowed to you know mm -hmm. um and then and then i went and got the uh <clears throat> work permit from the city you know and they were telling me some things just to watch out for, you know, and be careful of. So you kind of just ripped everything to the bare bones and started yeah. from scratch. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, you know, throughout the process, how long did it take you to, to renovate the building? Well, we started with um, the upstairs because the upstairs has two apartments. And we felt like if we could get the upstairs done first, then, you know, you can start bringing in some money from rent um, once that's completed and you have renters in those apartments. And so the upstairs took like right at one year to finish the two apartments um, with the finishes that we wanted. I mean, we wanted it to be a really nice, high quality apartment complex upstairs so that we could get good renters that would take care of it. You know, we didn't, one of the things I always say is, you know, there's no use in slapping lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. We didn't want our building to still be a pig. We wanted it to be a really, really nice place for somebody to live, a place that they could be proud of. So to get the upstairs into that shape, that took a year. Um, and then uh, after we finished that, then we turned our attention to the downstairs, and that took about uh, almost a year and a half to finish the downstairs where the store is and, and where the workspace is in the back. Uh, so really, it took about two and a half years. We did have a little bit of a uh, a time frame 
in the middle there where we had to slow down our work because we had a little bit of an accident. Scaffolding issue. A scaffolding issue. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That led to some broken bones. Um, So if, if, Taking that time out, then probably right at about two years of solid work. So what happened, Will, with the scaffold? <laughs> like, explain from the beginning, because I just heard a, a, just a quick synopsis of it. So the ceilings inside the building are uh, 14 and a half feet. Um, I knew that if I got up to eight feet, I could work on the ceiling from the eight feet, you know? So I went and I built a scaffolding uh, just out of two befores. And I mean, it was really sturdy. There was nothing wrong with the scaffolding other than I didn't put rails on it. Um, and the reason I didn't put rails on it was because I was going to come in and, and I was getting ready to start sheetrock. And that's the whole reason I built it. Um, and I was going to put the sheetrock up, you know, and uh, work off there with a, with a drywall jack and, raised up to the ceiling but i was worried if i put the my handrails on it, i wouldn't be able to uh get the sheetrock up on top looking back i could have done it you know and and uh and i should have and it's really changed my mind on safety but anyways i was up on top and i was running uh just doing some last minute things in the ceiling i had a boy on the ground he'd been working for me for like two and a half. he helped me all through the apartment building uh, and he went to pull me and I wasn't ready. And when he pulled me, he rolled over a cord and kind of thumped the scaffolding. And I had my hands up. And when he thumped it, I just went off the side. Oh, man. no. And when I fell off the side, I think I had his drill on my belt. And when I landed, I landed right here on my hip and mm. it smashed my femur. Uh, like three places it broke, didn't it? It just kind of broke it out of, you know, really sharp, like splintered it almost. Right. Um, and then. That luckily there was people there with me, you know, that they called nine one one, called her, she came and uh it was just it was painful, you know. Right. So you knew like as soon as it happened, you're like, oh, I messed up. Yeah, I thought I had dislocated it and then uh the more I tried to move it, they come in the, the uh the paramedics came in, tried to move me onto the backboard, and when they did, I was like, Man, you can't move me. Of course, I wasn't saying that, but, you know, right. my leg was up like this and it was just cramping so bad. I guess it was just pulling that muscle and that bone into that muscle, you know, and uh, they finally managed to roll me a little bit and scoot the backboard underneath of me and, and get me to the hospital. But, I mean, it was it was very, very painful. I mm-hmm. mean, it wasn't like poking through the skin or anything, but um, then I get to the hospital and, you know, they lay me in a bed for 24 hours. I had to lay there, couldn't move my leg because they were waiting on uh, uh, the surgeon to come in and, and, you know, get cleared up. And other people were there, too, you know, with broken bones and stuff. So, Right. It was a long wait. So, you know, after it was, you know, you shattered your femur and uh, the recovery process started, did you all kind of regroup on the project and just kind (laughs) of figure out, like, well... You know, here's what we can do to kind yeah. of fix this. Yeah, well, and, you know, you it, it it definitely kind of throws you for a loop because everything at that point was going really well. I mean, we were just making so much progress and we had this idea in our mind as to when we were going to be finished. And and then that happens. And um, it just it, it just 
takes the rug right under, underneath you. And, you know, we've been funding this project from vaporizer money and from rental money. And, and just it's it's not something that we had this big um, batch of money set aside um, that we hadn't been working for all along. And so when this happened, you know, now at least some of the money has to be redirected to doctor bills and things like that. And so when that happens, I mean, you just have to definitely step back and say, okay, now what do we do? Because now we have to pay for these hospital bills and we have to pay for this physical therapy and that's going to be money that we can't put into the business. Um, And so how's that going to affect the timeline? Not only that, but you can't even physically work. I mean, you know, he he was on a walker for Mm -hmm. um, about two months. And so, I mean, it was just... uh, a long process. The doctors have been telling us it's, it's going to be a good six months until you feel like you're a hundred percent. So yeah, definitely day one, when that happens and the doctor comes in and tells us what's going to happen immediately, you start thinking, okay, how many other things are going to be affected and to what extent because of this accident? Um, and so we definitely stepped back and we, and you, you know, you also at the same time just prioritize and the priority at that point was not the building. It was not the business. It was not expanding the business. It was just making sure he was okay and getting him, him better. Um, fortunately though, you know, because he was hurt so badly and could move so little, he got really bored really quick. <laughs> and so he decided come January 1st, no matter really what the doctor said, <laughs> he was going back to work, and this happened on November the 9th. So almost two months later, he, he he was ready to get back into the building. So he came down with his, you know, his cane, and he, and, and he did. He looked around, and he said, okay, where did I leave off that day, and what can I do now? Um, and we're just so fortunate that we have a lot of wonderful friends and family that kind of came and said, okay, you're definitely not 100%. What can we do to help get you back on track? Um, And so they helped us kind of pick up the pieces and get the momentum going again. Um, And then we just set a a different, you know, kind of opening date, a a new goal for ourselves. And we worked towards that. And I think that's what most people that start new businesses have to remember is you want to set um, a realistic goal, but one that is going to really keep you motivated every day. And and but then be realistic too with yourselves that if you come up upon that um, goal and you haven't quite met it, it's okay. Just reestablish where you're at, set another goal, and go for that. And that's what we did. And um, eventually, you know, we got there. It was almost a year after that accident happened that we were finally open, re- ready to open the doors. But mm. that's okay. So, how long ago was that? When I got hurt? Yeah. It was November the 9th, wasn't it? Of 2018. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that was a long, yeah, long process. Um, So how did you approach uh, renovating after that accident? Or or was you kind of like, man, it was kind of not my fault. (laughs) It was kind of, or, I mean, (laughs) you know. Well, you do, you know, you just kind of get back to it. and Right. uh, Like she said, I just took my cane and I just like, I worked. I worked on it for a day and I was like, man, I'm just, I'm just going to have to go, you know, and I just threw it to the side. I don't know if she knew, but, and just started working. You know, I think one of the big points was me getting back up on that scaffolding again. As soon as I fell, you know, I still had those guys working for me and I was like, you know, build a, build a rail on that thing, no matter what, you know, if, if it takes longer to do it, it just takes longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a rail on it and then I come down and, and uh, we were trying to get the sheetrock. That was what we were getting ready to do was start sheetrocking. Um, I had some guys come in and do it for me. And uh, they needed help just doing a few little things, straightening up the ceiling. 
And uh, I just managed to get up on there, you know, and I think that was part of my physical therapy was just just working through it, you right. know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and just getting back to it. So. Yeah. So did you kind of have an idea of what layout you wanted and what services you wanted and products uh, from the beginning? Did you say like, well, I want, you know, a display case here. I want, you know, whatever else here. How did that yeah, work? Yeah, before we even renovated the upstairs, we we bought the building in June of 2017 and probably by July the 1st of 2017, we had a little, pa- you know, just a little paper sketch, a little pencil sketch of what we wanted it to look like. And, mm-hmm. and, and the thing about it is I'm sure I have that paper sketch still. I have no doubt about it. And that paper sketch looks almost exactly like what the building looks like now. And we would go through this vision in our head. And when people would come in, you know, when we brought our, our families down there for the first time, and, and seriously, it looked like a dump. It was terrible. I'm sure our <laughs> parents like, hey, especially yeah. were like, oh, yeah. my gosh, what are you doing? Floor, like you can see yeah. downstairs. Right, yeah. So I'm sure they were a little bit worried and wondering if we had made a, a, the right decision, especially when we go in and, first of all, they see this building as absolutely a disaster. Mm-hmm. And then we're kind of standing there and we're, like, walking them all the way around the the what will be the storefront. And then we walk to the back and kind of describe what this workroom is going to look like. And, and even today, they'll tell us, you know, God, we did not see it that very first time you brought us down. But what is in there now is exactly what you described to us that very first time we ever even walked into the building. So, you know, as soon as we walked in, even when we were considering buying it, like William said, when we saw the, the really high ceilings and we just saw the layout of the room, immediately those kind of visions come into our minds and and it's almost as if that mess is not there but you can really truly see what the end product Mm -hmm. looks like and some people don't have that ability they can't visualize like that Um, but we could and we had ideas as to you know where did we want the beekeeping supplies to be and what other kind of things could we have and how could we make it look nice from someone who's just driving down the street in their car you know what kind of things can we put immediately at the front of the store so that they see them through the windows Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah I think right off the bat we knew Mm -hmm. Uh, we had a pretty good idea of what we wanted it to look like. And that's so fun because, you know, like you said, the vision is important. Like with our office, we kind of had the same experience. Now, not the same experience. You know, we didn't have to, you know, remodel everything and it wasn't completely wrecked when we moved in, but it looked very boring. And I knew like, if we're going to move in here, it's going to look right. So, you know, we spent you know, tens of thousands of dollars on it. And, and I knew like what I wanted to do, what I wanted the decorations to look like. And, and people were, you know, when they first saw the room, they were like, ah, this is fine. It looks like a tax office, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> um, and then compared to when they see it now, they really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So do you kind of notice like people appreciate, it, especially when you take a uh, uh, wrecked building and turn it into what you have. Do you see that yeah. appreciation when people walk yeah, in? Yeah, for sure. And that's one thing that I think just means so much to us because when we opened our doors at the beginning of December and people started to come in, you know, those were some of the first things that they would say is, oh, you know, this place is so beautiful or I can't believe we have something like this in Princeton. This is this is like what you would see in a larger city. Um, and we're just so thankful. And, and other people would say, you know, we've been watching the renovation all these months because we had the once we put the the large windows in we just for the most part we left um, everything to where you could see through the windows exposed and they could watch the progress and so a lot of people would come and they'd say I've watched you all along as you've been doing this and we're just so thankful for you and we're so thankful to have something so nice in our town and I mean that really means a lot to you when you've put 
two and a half years into a project and you've had someone that means so much to you get hurt during the project and you've questioned yourself, like, are we even doing the right thing? Like, was this a, was this a mistake? Um, but then to hear your community just respond in such a positive way, it's very, it's very gratifying at the end of the project. Um, and in the beginning of a new project, the actual store itself, but at the end of the renovation project, it, it meant a lot to us. Did y'all kind of know from the beginning, like, uh, yeah, we need to do get in on this grassroots district thing. You know, d- did you think, well, maybe we can move to Bluefield. Maybe we could, was it always this location or did you not? There really, really wasn't nothing here. Like I said, when we first started, it was, my mom had the pottery shop. And it was the riff raff, and then that that was pretty much yeah. It. There was, there a was riff, Myers and, flower and, shop and stages and was here. Things, so yeah. there were a few uh, there were a few things on the street, but you know, since we started the project in 2017, uh, quite a few other businesses have opened, and so it was just nice to get in on that. Did we kind of specifically plan it that way? Um, I don't know. I think it's a little bit mixed there because we're both from Princeton, and so born and raised here. Uh, we we. We're born around the time when a lot of the stores on the street were moving out because the mall had opened. And so we were not alive in that era that you hear people talk about where, oh, my gosh, Mercer Street used to just be such a bustling place. And you would go there on Saturday and spend your whole day downtown. We never really got to experience that. We experienced more so the Mercer Street that had negative connotations Mm -hmm. with it. But then at the time we were buying this building... We had just, uh, we had a young child, um, and then while we were renovating the building, we had another baby, and it was kind of all along, we were thinking, this is our hometown, and now it's our kids' hometown, and we want them to live in a place they can be proud of, Um, and so coming in and and seeing this opportunity on the street, um, we kind of thought, this is a chance for us to take a town where we've renovated lots of other properties, and we have seen how that can change things. It gives us the opportunity to do something even bigger on one of the main thoroughfares of the of the town. And so um, after we purchased the building, then that's when we started getting more familiar with the grassroots movement and the grassroots district and kind of some of the other businesses that were trying to come in and, and just what it meant to be part of this district. Um, and what it would what it would mean to just be a business owner in the district and the vision of the district, and so then yeah, we definitely bought into that. I mean, it's something that we stand um, behind, and and we definitely hold some strong beliefs about because I think that when we work together and we create districts like this, it's really going to um, change our town in a very positive way, and that's something we want to be part of. Before we get off the grassroots district, uh, you know, was Lori helpful was, as a resource when you all first started here? Yeah, like I said, I mean, uh, I had never met her before. I'd always heard my mom talk about her. And we took my little girl over to the pottery shop, usually like, what, once a week, once every two weeks. And she had been in there a couple of times, and me and Lori had talked. Um, and I just asked her about, you know, is there any buildings uh that are for sale or um that might be of interest to us you know and and she was like yeah for sure and she had told my mom about this building and then i had seen the the for sale sign on it you know and uh but through the whole process i mean if we have have questions about grants and i mean she's helped us get two grants now uh one through the city one through the usda and and she's just helped us in numerous ways mm-hmm. uh Anything we we could ask her, you know, she's always been so willing to help and be a part of 
uh, through the whole process. So Perfect. she's been great. Did you patent your design, your vaporizer? No. <laughs> you haven't? No. Uh, you know, and the reason why is, uh, I, and I had talked to some people um, about it, but uh, it, kind of the downfall of it has been, there's been people over in Europe that have copied it. Um, so the sales have really dropped off. They copied it almost to the T, but all they have to do is change one little thing, you know, and mm. the patent's no good. So, right. And it was all, it was already around before I started even making it. So gotcha. Um, no, I didn't fool with it. Gotcha. Uh, what type of products do you all offer in the, in the storefront? Yeah. So the first thing we wanted to offer, you know, in, in the thing that it originally was in the beginning was a beekeeping store. Um, we wanted to carry everything for that a beekeeper needed, you know, from uh, all the different hive boxes and frames, tops, bottoms, feeders, you know. Uh, we wanted to carry extractors, hive tools, you know, whatever somebody needed um, to keep bees we would have. And we have that over there now. We, we still like a few things, but we're getting those in through the next couple months. We should have everything. Um, and we knew that if we didn't price it right, people are just going to go online and buy, you know, so we try to have prices that are competitive for sure mm -hmm. uh, for beekeepers around the area, you know. Other than the vaporizers, is there anything else that you build? Yeah, we build the bot, you know, we build swarm traps, we build nuke boxes, you know. Uh, I've sold uh, nukes in the, a nuke is just a small hive of bees, mm -hmm. um, just four frames and then one empty frame. They already have the bees on them. The queen's already uh, custom to the bees. Um, and it, so it's just easy for new beekeepers. So I've sold those in the past. Um, no, not not really anything else. Gotcha. You know, Where just, do you keep the bees? Uh, we we live on my granddad's farm over uh, in towards Athens. Mm. Very cool. So what's it like, like keeping? Uh, you know, obviously we all know that you know bees are disappearing, and we don't really know why. Uh, do you see what's it called? A hive collapse. Uh, colony said? collapse. The colony collapse. Yeah, nobody really calls it that anymore. I mean, the term is still out there, but most of the time it's just varroa that have caused the issue, you know, or uh, the bees go into winter with not enough feed supply or enough honey. Um, yeah, I mean, last year, I think it was we lost 60%. And for the past consecutive three and four years, we've lost, you know, 50, 60% of the honeybee population in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. um of course that's that's hives that were registered with the state you know that they could count uh, not including feral colonies but um it's it's tough man i mean how many hives do you have uh right now i think i have about seven um i had i had this past summer i had about 30 i wound up giving some away some of them didn't make it through winter um i combined some you know that were weak so so winter is a problem. Like what kind of precautions do you have to take in the winter time? Well, for one thing, you have to treat them in early August. If you don't treat them for varroa mites, then they're never going to make it. Um, just because they're so weak and they're just, there's not enough numbers in there in order to keep them warm. You have to make sure they're fed. So you have to go out there a couple times a week, feed them uh, sugar syrup. So it's just sugar and water mixed together. Uh, and you feed them that that uh, formula, and they 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 turn it into honey basically for the winter. 
you know, and if, you, if they don't have enough feed, then they're not going to make it. So have to make sure they're in a right place, you know, that's out of the wind and uh, has some sun, but, but not full-blown wind, full-blown shade, or they're, there's a lot to it. You know, it can be discouraging, but if you really like it and really enjoy it, it's you can make it through the tough times, you know, and just kind of you're going to lose some no matter what. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you really enjoy it, like I said, you can make it through and you'll find more, you'll buy more, you'll catch them or do what you have to do to get them, you know. What kind of – someone who wants to get into beekeeping, like in West Virginia, what kind of resources are there as far as knowledge and – classes uh, we or? offer free classes we just started teaching one last week it's an eight-hour class you come to it totally for free um last week we had almost 70 people come uh and we're already booked for february we haven't started signing up for march yet but hopefully we can have three to four classes a year you know and just teach people everything they want to know because i think that people should have free knowledge on keeping bees you know and i, I don't really want to I don't want to have to charge somebody to to learn. You know, they should be able to learn for free. And sure, well, and that's a good marketing tool because you know, if you taught them how to do it, where are they going to go to buy their products? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully they will come in and support me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they don't, you know, so be it. And uh, sure, hopefully they will though. And and you know, we try to give them answer all the questions that they need help with and help them along the way and. Very Hopefully, good. in return, they will come see us. So, so how big is the space? Exactly. It's about eighteen hundred square feet. Awesome. Um, and you were going to say about the other side of the? Yeah. So, um, of course, we do have lots of things for beekeepers, um, so that they can do their hobby and do it well. But then, like I had said before, we didn't just want to um, kind of box ourselves in with just beekeeping because we would have lost some opportunity. So then we started to think about what would be some other things that people in this area would want to see, would really appreciate to see. And so one of the things we decided was that we wanted to have um, local meats because you can get local meats in this area, but it's usually just during the summer months when the farmer's market is open. And we have been part of the farmer's market for many years, and we saw that that could be a very profitable um, enterprise. So we said, let's dedicate some of the space in the store to local meats. And so now we have meats that come from um, different places in Mercer County and up into Raleigh County and into Monroe County. Uh, and and so not only are the meats local, but lots of people want to come in and they want to ask, you know, wh- how is this animal treated? What Are they grass-fed? Are they grain-fed? What about um, hormones and antibiotics? And so we're able to tell them because we know these farmers or we are these farm- farmers um, kind of a little bit more about the food that they're going to consume. Um, and then once we said, if, well, if we're going to have meat, why not have other types of food products? And so we've tried to bring in um, local fruits and vegetables. We have dairy products, eggs, um, and, and just different things that people want, but they up until this point, they haven't really been able to find it year-round, um, at least not from a local producer. 
And then another thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to kind of, in bringing in foods to the store, we wanted to create a little bit of an old-timey mercantile or general store feel. So we decided to bring in some of the old sodas and candies that people like. And then that led to the visionary over here deciding that he wanted to have an ice cream counter in the store. So we so he built the ice cream counter, and um, we brought in some really, really good award-winning ice cream. Uh, and so that's something, of course, that now maybe mom or dad comes in to pick up something to eat for dinner and the kids are with them and the kids decide they want to sit down and have some candy or have some ice cream. And so we started to see as we were putting these things together now, we're meeting different, we're we're kind of meeting the needs or the wants of different demographics and ages and stuff. Um, We also decided another thing we need to do was make sure we do think about marketing. And so we wanted to bring apparel into the store so that we could get our logo out into our community and even more distant communities. And so we have apparel, we have shirts and hats and different things like that. Um, And then we said, well, let's not get too far away from the bees because of the whole point of this store originally um, in the name of it is Blue Ridge Bee Company. So we started to think of other things that we could also bring into the store to meet um, the, the desires of folks that might come in and shop with us, but that we could then link back to the bee company. And so that's when we decided that we wanted to definitely have a, a very large honey selection. And so if you go into the store, one of the very first things you see as soon as you walk in is kind of our honey wall. And we have local honey because so many people in the area want local honey for things like allergies and other types of medicinal reasons. Um, but then we said we can't just limit it to local honey because there are so many types of honey out there. So we have um, many different varieties of honey uh, from different places in the United States. And we've also branched out and we've gotten honeys from different parts of the world, all with different colors and flavors and medicinal values. Um, So that's a big draw for a lot of people. We also decided that we wanted to um, bring in things like soaps and lotions uh, that may have beeswax and honey and things like that in them. Uh, And so that kind of drew in another type of customer. And so with those things and then thinking about just seasonal items, we've been able to capture a pretty good variety of individuals in the community um, that might be coming in for one thing or another. Uh, And sometimes they come in for one thing and then they see, oh, I didn't realize they had this type of product in, in And this way, too, we can continue to get them coming back. And now one of the things we're trying to think of just strategically is what are products that we can carry that will get them coming back a little more frequently? Because some of the products that we carry are things that last a while. You know, we're talking about a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And so now we're starting to think, well, what can we carry that will get them coming in every week or every two weeks? And so we're trying to get our minds thinking in that direction at this point. Makes total sense. So what would you say would be, has social media affected your following? Uh, you know, what would you say would be the biggest marketing tool to spread your word so far? Definitely Facebook. You know, uh, we were, we were, had finished up and we knew we were getting ready to open like the first week of December. And Emily told me, she was like, let's just, you know, go into it and just see how many people show up. And if they show up, great. If not, we'll just keep working and getting things set up, you know, and put together. Well, I posted it on Facebook and I think it got viewed like uh, almost 30,000 times, I think. So, and then the next day, uh, that was the night before. So the next day we were here at like nine o'clock, nine thirty. And there was people lining up down the block. 
there was uh, people that had come out with uh, bagpipes and drums and were playing outside the <laughs> front door. Yeah. Um, and it was just really cool, man, to see all the support from the whole community. You know, I mean, it was as soon as we opened the doors, they just like flooded in there and they were all clapping and applauding. And, yeah. Uh, and know, we didn't even just, know if the cash register was going to work at that yeah, point. I mean, you know? we, we were Our still trying opening. to get things together, you know. <laughs> sure. And, uh, a soft opening uh, was wasn't really so cool. soft, but I mean, luckily it went really well. But, you know, I guess that was just a moment when we were like, wow, social media is very powerful. We yeah. had used it before to advertise about the vaporizer on beekeeping web, uh, on beekeeping pages and stuff like that. But we just thought, okay, well, if we want to do a soft opening, maybe one little advertisement on Facebook is really not going to make that much of a difference. Yeah. But within 12 hours, you know, mm -hmm. it had made a huge difference. I was difference. going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Do you think like uh, opening a business here is special too because people just appreciate, you know, what you're bringing to the area too, even more? You know, I know, I know a lot of people like, you know, say you're in a city, say you're in Charlotte. It's not mm -hmm. going to, you know, maybe for that little section, it's a big deal. But for here, mm -hmm. it's really the whole county, you know, kind of Southern West Virginia loves when they hear businesses mm -hmm. opening. I think so, because, I mean, even just the response we got from no news stations, they were so excited to come and hear our story and share our story with other people. And then, like I said, customers that came in and still they're still coming in and just telling us on a daily basis how thankful that they are that a business like this has come and how they're not only thankful for our business, but they're just thankful to see the change on Mercer Street in general. And they have so much hope for what this place can be again. And some of these people, you know, they were around during the time when this was such a bustling, busy street and, and the town was kind of in a different era. And I think it kind of gives them some hope. It certainly gives us hope that we can get back to that place. Um, and I, I do, I think it's really special. And I want to, I, I don't know that we'll ever be inspiration to another person or another couple that maybe has this dream in their head, but I hope we could be. And I hope that they, I hope maybe if someone's watching, they can see we're just regular people, um, you know, that had an idea um, and we went after it and other people can do it the same way. And you have to, you have to really think it through because you don't want to get into the middle of a project and find out I can't finish this for one reason or another. Um, but, you know, if you do have a vision and you feel like you have the resources to carry it out, don't be afraid, do it. And, and you can, you can do this for your community as well. You can really help your community out and be a catalyst to um, see some changes. So I do think that the community has felt like this has been a pretty special thing that's happened. Perfect. Has there been anything, uh, any issues pop up that you never would have thought you would have had to deal with along the way? Or is there any certain things that come to mind that's been frustrating? I think regulations have been frustrating. Yeah. And it's not that they're a bad thing. They need to be there. Regulations need to be in place. It's just that when you go into a new business for the first time, you know, this is a beekeeping store, but we also kind of have a grocery retail side of it. And then having the ice cream counter, we get into food services side of it. And so there are regulations that we just had no idea about, whether it's labeling or food handlers, or you even have to have your, your scale officially like <laughs> um, tested and, and you have a, someone that comes by to make sure that that piece of equipment is operating correctly. Those were things that we just had no idea that you had to do this and that and this and that. And so here we are trying to approach an opening day and 
And the days before, probably that week before, almost every single day, there was someone coming in. Oh, I'm the inspector for this. I'm the inspector (laughs) for this. And we're like, what? That has to be inspected too. We didn't even know. Thankfully, though, these people had heard we were opening and they were being very kind with their services to just come and say, hey, um, I just wanted to introduce myself. If you didn't know that your scale needed to be calibrated and that it needed to be officially checked by me, I wanted to let you know. If you're not ready for me to check it today, just call me here in a day or two before you open and I'll come check it. That and the same with with all of the health department regulations. They were very, very helpful to us, but there was a big learning curve with that type of stuff. Um, Fortunately, because they were so gracious and and just helpful in letting us know ahead of time, we were able to get everything cleared before we open. If we lived in a community where maybe the officials were not so proactive with new businesses, we might have opened the door and had an inspector come when we had already been serving the community. And we, if we had something wrong, they might have shut us down. Right. So I'm very thankful to um, those individuals. And, and that would just kind of be one of the things for other people that are starting businesses to keep in mind, you know, as much as you can learn about the regulations related to your type of business, do that. That way you can reduce the amount of surprises that you're going to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what would you say, Will, what, what would you tell somebody um, about beekeeping in Appalachia? Like what's the potential market if you were to, you know, uh, start keeping bees, get pretty good at it, you know, uh, would would and you wanted to scale up, is there a market here? Oh yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's people that send their bees all over the country to pollinate, and they make a living just by moving bees on tractor trailers, you know, and uh, for almonds or blueberries or uh, the orange groves or whatever, you know. Um, there's a market for commercial beekeepers. You got to get really good. You got to know the bees. You got to be willing to work in them every day. You know, uh, there's several people through the state that raise queens and they make a uh, living doing that. Um, people raise just the bees and just sell them to new beekeepers, you know, like the nukes I talked about earlier. Uh, you can do that, raising honey, you know, taking honey off of them, bottling it, selling it. Uh, if we have a great year, it's, it's really good. Sometimes you have a lean year, you know, where you don't get as much honey, but, um, there's definitely a market if you're willing to work hard and learn and, and just, uh, have faith through the whole thing, you know, and keep at it and, and, and work, you know, mm-hmm. there's definitely a, an ability to bring in income and, and provide for your family. So. Perfect. Well, I guess both of you last question, like, <clears throat> What qualities do you think need to be present in a person to be able to uh, not only start a job, start a business here, but to actually be sustainable and and reach success? I think the first thing you have to be is you just, you can't give up, man, because the moment you give up, you lost. Uh, You know, I mean, there are some instances where, you know, maybe you get in over your head and, you think, should I really have done this? Um, but I, I think that that's the time to learn and that's the time to talk to people and, you know, gain experience and gain knowledge and just learn uh, what what you think you should do, you know, and what you need to do. Um, there was times, you know, where we think, man, alive, are we doing the right thing? Should we just, like, sell this thing and just be done with it? And But me or her, either one, don't 
we're hard headed and we don't want to give up, you know, and uh, I think that's a good quality because so many people do give up on what they want to do in their dreams, you know, and don't see it through. So that's the number one quality. And then you got to be willing to work, you know, work hard. So. Perfect. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And then I think that you have to just a couple things. You have to just constantly be willing to learn um, and just expand your knowledge because when you go into a, when you go into this new adventure, you know, starting a business, it's, you're, it's going to be new to you. Even if you know about a product that you're going to sell or kind of uh, what you, what you want the be, what you want the emphasis to be on, there's going to be so many other little things, um, whether it's just aspects of the business or other types of merchandise you want to have, or how in the world do you hire people? And how do you, how do you maintain your accounting? All of those types of things you have to be ready and willing to either learn about, or you have to be willing to surround yourself with individuals that can help you in those areas. And I think that's the second thing is just really be willing to um, start to network with people and surround yourself with experts in lots of different fields because you never know when you're just going to be having a casual conversation with someone that maybe you've met and they're and you're going to tell them about this issue that you're having and they may be able to help you solve the issue or they might be able to point you in the, dr- the direction of someone else that can help you. And so you have to really be willing to, to kind of make friends um, in the business world that have maybe made mistakes already and they want to share their experience with you so you don't make those same mistakes. Um, But otherwise, if you're just really persistent and you just take one day at a time, you know, those little baby steps of accomplishments are going to eventually lead to the success of your dream. Will and Emily, I am in awe of your dedication and perseverance during this process. And also, I will never think of railless scaffolding the same way again. Find out more about Blue Ridge Bee Company by visiting their storefront on the Mercer Street Grassroots District. Like them on Facebook and check out their products online at blueridgebeecompany.com. Appalachian Startup is a bi-weekly podcast, except for this week during Mercer Grassroots March. We're having a new episode every Thursday in March, but after that, it's bi-weekly. So be sure to check back for more stories of entrepreneurship, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and support the show by grabbing a sticker from our online store at AppalachianStartup.com. Review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well. We are on Patreon. You can support the show there and allow us to showcase more businesses in Appalachia. Stay tuned for more stories of underdogs on the rise.